every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and each week, give or take, I'm joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we explore the comics, films, and television series that have come out of the mad minds of the mutant enemy menagerie. Um, We've already completed our run through the entire Buffy the Vampire Slayer series, uh, so now we're savoring every episode of its spinoff series, Angel. Uh, And back with me this time is uh, my good friend Eric Sippel, author of Broken Magic, and my co-author on The Delhi Counter of Justice. Welcome back, Eric. Thank you. I'm really excited to be back for one of my favorite shows of all time, so really happy to be here. I assume you're talking about the podcast, not this stupid angel thing, right? I mean, the confluence of two events <laughs> okay, is what I'm talking gotcha. about. And this is, uh, so just to get any awkwardness on mic for the for the listeners at home, uh, who are only getting the audio experience of this. This is Eric's first time recording with me since we've added video <laughs> to the recording pro- process. So um, I've caught him in a state of semi-dress. That's right. I'm, I'm, I was all comfy and ready for bed. And I'm old enough to remember when the first time I came on and I did not shut off my video on Skype, Paul was like, we're not doing video. We're not doing video. <laughs> right. So this is a real turnabout for me. Yeah. Blame Arlo. But anyways, so, uh, well, it's good to talk to you, man. It has been a long time since we have, like, meaningfully spoken about anything. It has. Uh, you know, that you'd feel like the pandemic times would make it easy to stay in remote contact. But I think that physical quarantine also just sort of spiraled on to, like, kind of a mental and psychological yeah. Um, quarantine. So, yeah, I... I think we have not really had a good conversation since I was on the show last, which is which I'm really sorry about because I've missed you. Yeah, it's been it's been rough without you, man. So I'm looking what I'm looking. When was the last time I had you on? You were last on for Conversations with Dead People, the Buffy episode, Conversations with Dead yeah. People, which was I was I was here for the eponymous episode, and I also had to do Double Meat Palace, which <laughs> I feel like was my payment for getting to do Conversations. With that dead was people. you getting jumped into the gang of Conversations with Dead People. That's right. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, fortunately, we're here. So Conversations with Dead People, the episode, was great. Um, Double Mute Palace was not. So here we are to talk about something. We're back on the great schedule, I think. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about two episodes of Angel. Um, two of, I will speak for myself, and I'll let Eric, uh, you know, say how he feels. But uh, tonight we're going to be talking about two of my favorite episodes of the series um one of the high watermarks i think of the entire series uh which feature 
at least one scene that is probably my favorite scene from the Whedon verse. Um, so, and I've, I've been saying that for a long time and on this rewatch, I got a little bit nervous as I pressed play on the first episode. I was like, man, I really hope this lives up to my own hype. Uh, and it did. I'm super thrilled. So tonight we're going to be talking about episodes 118, five by five, uh, and 119 sanctuary. Um, so, uh, let me just give a spoiler warning for any fools who are listening to us talk right now and have not actually seen the show. Uh, we will be discussing the plots, characters, and themes of each of these episodes in depth and within the context of the larger series. Uh, that means we're going to be spoiling these episodes and quite possibly every episode of every Joss Whedon show that has ever come before or after. So just to be safe, I want you to know, um, if you are not up to date on your Buffy Angel oeuvre, you might want to pause and go get caught up and come back to us when you're ready. So uh, with that taken care of, Eric, if you're ready, let's go to work. So um, Eric, I'll jump to you first. Uh, five by five, original air date, uh, April 25th, 2000, written by, I meant to look up how to pronounce this man's name because uh, he has a a place in my heart for having written this episode, but uh, I forgot to look it up. It's Jim Koff or Koof. I don't know how to say his name. I apologize to him. Um, and directed by James Conner. So how do you yeah. feel about this one? This is, well, first, James, do you say James Koff? How did you pronounce his name? Koff is how I've always pronounced it in my head. It's spelled K-O-U-F. Okay. So I've always pronounced it Koff or... Well, he's I, I, I he is a co-writer along with David Greenwald with one of my favorite early early 1980s movies called American Dreamer that like no one has seen. Um, and I was I randomly wow. ran into this about about a month ago that I was like David Greenwald wrote this movie and Jim Coof. and then I didn't think about it again until we were watching this and I was like it's the American Dreamer guy so. Not only is this one of my favorite episodes of the show overall, also a really weird connection to my childhood of a movie that I watched with my mom and that she is the only person I know who's seen it. <laughs> I don't believe I've ever heard of it. Um, but that's cool that Greenwald did it as well. Um, obviously, the one of the two masterminds behind Angel. Um, I know, I know, let's say Koof. You said Koof, that sounds better than Koff. Anyways, I know Jim Koof. Uh, he's done a bunch of stuff, but he wrote... Um, Stakeout. That was it. Stakeout. The 80s yeah. movie with... Uh, yeah. 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 Anyways. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very storied, weird uh, film career, including the film Snow Dogs, just to throw a curveball oh, wow. into this guy's career. So very odd career. And I think he only wrote for this season of Angel. I don't think mm -hmm. he was a long-term writer for the show. Um, I'm actually not even sure what other episodes he did. I think this might be the only one he did. It's well, it's a it's a doozy to, to take on. And 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 like you, Paul, I came into these episodes um, nervous because this is I think I think this was one of the episodes that I asked for when you were very first mm -hmm. starting the show that yeah. if I did Angel, I wanted to be on these. And I had the same nerves hitting play. And I am surprised to say, I think I feel even strong, more strongly about these episodes now than I did before. I, I, my, my love of them went from this is great to, I think these are the emotional thesis statements on the entire, what this show is relative to Buffy. Like this is the break yeah. point where angel becomes its own show. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Just so anyways, yes. Uh, 
amazing, amazing episodes. Yeah. Um, man, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know. I feel so passionately about these that I, I don't know what to say about them. I run into this problem on podcasts a lot. So um, what is it that you feel so strongly about? What is it about these episodes? Or five, let's start with five by five. What about this is such a powerful episode for you? Um, so one of the things is just Faith was always one of my favorite characters on the show on Buffy. Um, and, and, you know, my memory of this show, of this episode was it was coming off the two-parter, um, uh, Who Am I? And what was the other episode? This, this Year's Girl. This Year's Girl and Buffy, which was actually another great two-parter. It one was, of the, one it of was the, great. Uh, just one of the one of the killer two parters of that season, and um, and so this is like a, a emotional carryover from that. And so one thing I love is that it is the uh, back half of a pretty strong mini arc for Faith around you know post mayor. Um, so one of the things I really love about this episode is we pick up Faith at just probably her absolute lowest point and mm -hmm. in a complete train wreck. Um, and so I love that, and but I also love. Something that I had forgotten that they, I can't. That what a what a move to parallel this with Angel's turn and then yeah. curse. Like we haven't seen Angel's curse in his early days as not Angelus until this episode, and so they they just take a swing and decide to parallel Faith and Angel, which is something that pays off long term with the show too. Mm -hmm. So anyways, th that, those things, I, I really love that. And then, you know, I, I, this is also just a really strong and bold episode of making a character kind of awful and then immediately pulling the rug out from the, what you think it's doing, which is going to be angel saving the day and beating the crap out of faith or something. And instead right. it takes this hard turn right at the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you said it at the top that uh, like these episodes mark a shift in the series. Um, and yeah, I agree. Like these two episodes, um, I think we're just going to have to talk about them as, as a pair. Uh, these two episodes, they're kind of the fulcrum, I feel like, on which the entire series made that shift. So prior to this, I feel like Angel, um, the character Angel, was trying to be the sort of silent solitary sort of neo-noir hero that would you know help the damsel in distress but then but then disappear into the night or whatever and he really wasn't even though doyle in the first episode doyle comes up and is like you need to make connect you need connections in the world or whatever he hasn't really been doing that and then so this uh marks the point where um not only is this a character that he has a very personal past history with um, but it's a character that he shared uh, aside from the, just the history they share together. There is a very, very powerful bond, uh, between them because I believe it was the episode consequences. I don't remember what season or number that was. It must've been season three of Buffy, but I don't remember the episode number when, um, and it's referenced in, in here when angel like started to get through to faith um, because he was like the only one that truly like understands what she's going through. Um, and so that was the beginning of a pretty powerful connection between those. And then of course it got interrupted by Wesley, but yes. um, yeah, just giving him a character that is, that is so personal to him. Um, and 
I feel like I, I don't remember who it was, so I can't credit them, but I read somebody who described it as <sighs> Buffy has always been the show about saving lives. And at this point, Angel is the show that becomes about saving souls. And I feel like that is just one of the reasons why Angel the series is more important to me than Buffy the series was. And this really does feel like the moment where the show figures that out and, and kind of yeah. realizes what it's doing. So I, I, I agreed. And it, and it, it makes it's, it's interesting because the thing that I think I had missed about these two episodes, and I agree, it's hard not to talk about them together because they're, they're very linked at the hip. And the first episode is intentionally an incomplete statement to what's mm -hmm. going on, but it's not only, kind of passively a, a moment when it describes what the show is. And I love that, that description of what the angels a show about saving souls versus lives. Um, but they even bring Buffy in to very intentionally say, this is what the show is right. like that. We are a completely different show. Angels entire mission is a different mission yep. and angels going to get into literal blows with Buffy to establish that, that, this is a different world here. Yeah. And like, I, I, I think I missed the intentionality. And now I have to imagine that somewhere in the middle of this season in the writer's room, they were like, we need to, we need to, we need to establish our identity. Like it actually feels like it, like it's so obvious that I feel like at some point someone said, we need to, we need to distinguish ourselves. What are we relative to them? Yeah. And this was their answer. Yeah. And this marks the last, I mean, I, there, there are still crossovers with Buffy in the sense of, um, like the the Fool for Love, the Boxer Rebellion stuff. I mean, that crosses over into season two. But this is the last time we see Buffy on the show. So this is the last time Sarah Michelle Gellar comes over. This is the the last of the, like, true, genuine sort of crossover events or whatever that the series does. Um, and it, uh, until, well, now season five, even, even season five doesn't have a crossover. But um, yeah, the show really does um, plant its, flag here and say you know this is the point where we're there's no there's no turning back we're we're going to be our own show now yeah um and and i think i think the thing about these episodes that that most establish itself and i think this is my read on the what buffy is versus angel is buffy is a show powered in many ways by a refusal for, to forgive like mm -hmm. buffy yeah. is un, un, unforgivingly self-righteous about things um, very, very often in that show, there are breaks that never really get reformed. Yeah. Um, you know, Buffy is a show about growing into adulthood and growing into adulthood is often about creating irrevocable rifts between people that you don't you maybe wouldn't have done 10 years later in your life. But you do then. Yeah. And Angel is a show that is nothing but forgiveness. And it's not just Angel working to give Faith her second chance. Wesley has a mini arc in these two episodes mm. that goes from don't give her delicious jelly donuts to like, nope, I actually trust that angel's doing the right thing and I'm going to stick with this. Right. And, and so like, that is such a huge part of the show that wasn't in Buffy. Actually, it's, uh, there's a, there's a back and forth on Wesley. It actually starts with him, uh, taking up for faith. Like in five by five, he's like, you know, she's a human with a soul. Like we need to give her a chance or whatever. It's not till after she tortures him that he's like, she's an animal and and uh you know what what's his what's the actual quote uh won't she find it difficult enjoying delicious jelly-filled donuts if she is one assumes bound and gagged <laughs> yeah anyways god i love wesley um 
Yeah. So one of the great things about five by five is that, uh, and I, I, I must've realized this before, but it was a, it's like I rediscovered it on this, on this rewatch. This, the way they tell the story in five by five is interesting because, um, I guess if you watch the show for the first time without any context, you don't really understand why we're getting the angel flashbacks and you don't really, and you, you don't really understand what faith is doing through the whole episode. It's not until the end of the episode when she has, and and we're going (laughs) to two thirds of this episode is going to be dedicated to talking about that alley scene, but it's not, it's not until that alley scene that recontextualizes the entire episode. And you realize this whole thing has been a suicide by angel thing that faith has been doing. Like she's not just being, you know, her usual psychotic unhinged self or whatever. Like she is really pushing limits because after that wonderful bit on, uh, this year's girl and who are you? Um, where, where she got to literally call herself a disgusting murdering monster or whatever. Um, She's at the bottom and she's looking for a way out. Like she's deliberately like drawing attention to herself and making herself vulnerable. Yeah. So uh, it's really a beautiful thing. I like it because they set it up really interestingly too. Like, you know, she shows up in, in, in LA pretty, uh, in my read directionless. She doesn't show mm-hmm. up to LA with a plan necessarily, right. but as soon as, as Wolfman Hart says, Oh, angel. Yes. So, and it's obvious the plan snaps into place because the next time we see her, she's messing with him, which is not a, I'm going to kill someone for money kind of thing to do. Right. Right. So, so, it, but yeah, they they do they take that entire episode to really play out her motivations, and I and I agree. Like it, you know, Whedon shows tend to be about pulling expectations out from under you near the end of an episode. Like that is a big part of the, the like what the monster's doing, why they're doing it. But this is a much subtler version of that um, throughout the entire episode, and really, it doesn't seem to be playing it for a twist, but to but for like peeling layers off as you go. And I think it's right. really interesting the way that plays out. Yeah. Um, all right. Bef- so obviously we're, we need to focus most of our attention on Eliza Dishku and faith, but uh, before we get totally lost in that, let's talk about the fact that Christian Kane, finally, his character finally gets a name. I don't think that, that Lindsay had been named before this. Really? I think this is when we first get his name. It's certainly when we first get his full name of Lindsay McDonald. I don't, I, I know we didn't know that, but uh, I don't think we even knew his name was Lindsay before this. Um, and we get uh, like the first true example of what the relationship between him and Angel is going to be like. That just snarky, uh, you know dig at each other sort of relationship. Like their first real confrontation was fantastic. Have, refresh me here because it's been a bit since I've seen the first half of this season. How have we seen Lindsay very often since the pilot? Cause he's in the pilot, but I, I feel like this is something I should know. I th- think we've only seen him in the pilot. I think it was only the pilot. We've seen Lila. The, I can't remember if this is the second or third time that we see Lila. It might be the second time for both of them. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah. I would not. That is fascinating. Would not have been my assumption. I figured he was more in more episodes coming up to this. But, you know, this does remind me how Angel was established as a um, anthology show, right. you know, when it came out that that was the big pitch. It was going to be much more anthology ish. And yeah. that's another pivot of this point in the show. It, it pivots pretty hard into character serialization from yeah. here. So I guess it makes sense that Lindsay um, is a second time. So, yes, no, cool. He gets his name. And yes, I agree that. <laughs> It feels like a fully formed rivalry at this point. So I'm actually really surprised to hear that that this was the moment it kind of came into focus because it feels like it's been going on for like 10 episodes. Right. At this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Christian Kane uh, is fantastic uh, in the role. He only gets better in this role. It only gets meatier for him. And Stephanie Romanoff, um, likewise, like I praised her in the last episode, but uh, she is also amazing and uh, only gets better as the series goes on. I don't think I don't, I think this is the second time we see Lee Mercer, uh, the, the third of the Wolfram and Hart lawyers. I think we've seen him before, maybe in uh, the ring. The last time we saw Lila, um, I don't remember if we ever see him again. I can't remember if he sticks around, but um I love him. He's, as the... he's in he's in one more after this because I went looking okay. for him um, and it's it's this season. So he's in one more this season. OK. All right. Thomas Burr is that actor and he's delightful yeah. as the smarmy little worm. Lee Mercer. It, it is funny. He definitely is obviously not punching at the same weight class as Lila and, <laughs> no. and Lindsay. So I'm not surprised he didn't last. But yeah. uh, but he is great in this episode. He's great. Yeah. I meant the character, not the actor. I want to be clear. Lee is not punching at Lila and, and Lindsay's weight class. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, the flashbacks, we can talk about the flashbacks, um, where we of course get some more of the delightful Julie Benz as Darla, uh, who's always great to see. I'm trying, uh, over the course of doing these podcasts, I've lost, I've lost the ability to keep track of, how often we've seen these characters or what we know at what point. So refresh my memory, correct me if you know, this is the first time I know that the, the gypsy curse obviously has been referenced, but is this the first time that we sort of see how that went down? I am almost certain this is the first time we've seen it. I think, and I, I that was, <coughs> excuse me, part of what impressed me about this episode so much is that they, they go, they use that for this story. Right. Like they use us finally seeing like that, that moment to be able to pull then like deal with that. So I don't think we had ever seen it. I think the only thing we had seen, I'm pretty sure we may have seen him get cursed at some point, but not any of the stuff around it. I feel like that right. like one shot of him getting cursed was in some earlier episode at some point, but I don't Pro think we've probably with Jenny calendar. It's it's, I feel like that's coming back to me. Um, which that reminds me, uh, we should probably talk about the parallels between the Faith and Wesley scene and, the, you know, how we're obviously supposed to be reminded of the Angel and Giles scene. Yeah, that's a good point. And I was thinking of that. So I'm, I'm watching um, Buffy with my partner um, and she... Um, 
for and and like we had just got through we're at the very beginning of season three right now so i've just faith just entered i think um homecoming was the last episode we watched so um so anyways becoming is very very clear in my mind Uh as a as a result of this because it was just there so um um yeah we had we just got and and it is played very similarly as is wesley's reaction at the beginning of sanctuary like a lot about hit like his sort of like i i'm bitter about angel uh-huh. I'm sorry, Giles is I'm bitter about Angel stuff is very paralleled in Wesley's like why are we helping Faith kind of stuff. Right. Um and I I want to use this. I'm trying to not I'm trying to stick with five by five and not get too much into Sanctuary yet, but um you know what, I'll hold off. The we're gonna talk about Buffy because she shows up in Sanctuary, but um the the moments in this episode in five by five that really not counting that final scene, the alleyway scene, the moments that really stand out to me are, um, Phantom Dennis trying to keep Cordy and Wesley out of the apartment and then going in and, and, and faith being there. That was, that was a pretty big jump scare moment or whatever, her being there. And it really, they really sold, um, I think that um, Alexis Denisoff and uh, Charisma Carpenter really sold the fear of that moment. Particularly Wesley. Agreed. You could just you could just hear in his tone of voice and his body language that he was like he didn't want to move. He didn't want to give her any reason to to be set off. Um. And then the there are two sort of parallel scenes um, that are both emotionally powerful to me one when so after faith has had a little bit of torture time with wesley and she's sitting in the windowsill or she's sitting in the window and she just casually drops that shard of glass there's a vacancy to her there's a there's just a distance in her look that you can tell she's severely broken and she's obviously only going through these motions because she's trying to draw angel to her and then I feel like that's a little bit paralleled at the very end with Wesley dropping the knife. There's that same sort of, I mean, we don't really get to see Wesley in that scene, so we don't see the look on his face, but there's still just that, that casual, like empty letting go of this sharp device. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but you're absolutely right. That's a really interesting parallel. Um, Eliza Dishko, man, I know, I know there are some circles that don't consider her like the best actress on either of the shows. And I mean, that's, that may or may not be true. She didn't get as many opportunities, I think, uh, as like Sarah Michelle Gellar and, and, uh, Alexis Denisov and, and, um, Allison Hannigan, she didn't get as many of those big opportunities like those actors did. So we'll never know. But um, I feel like I've never had a problem with her acting. And I feel like this episode, 5x5 and Sanctuary, but mostly 5x5, is really like a highlight for her. Like, I I don't, I doubt she got nominated because. these shows very rarely got nominated for anything, but she deserved at least to be nominated for some kind of award. And she, she absolutely should have won some sort of award for her performance here. 
it, it's definitely her. It's it's maybe the the strongest work I've I've ever seen out of her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's good. I mean, I, you know, I think that that Eliza Dushku is perfect as Faith. Like whatever anyone wants to say about her acting outside of it, and having you know seen her on Dollhouse, I think that she is. No, there, there, and this is actually not a criticism. Some actors have lots of range and some are focused and good yeah. at a specific range. And I don't think that's a negative to anyone, but I think she's someone with a, a narrower range than than like uh, some other actors. But within her range, there's an intensity to her performance that really works. And these episodes and um, really, really play to that for her. Yeah. So you get moments where she is just like, not all actors are willing to totally swing for it in ways that that are not um like admirable uh, you know like not attractive like even when people are angry like people are looking for like the attractive cry or whatever and right. and and you know she eliza just swings for it in this like she is all in on faith being completely destroyed and i agree with you it it, it totally works um it's a it's an, an unashamed performance which i really love yeah um, the choice of living dead girl by Rob Zombie is possibly the most on the nose, but damn it, possibly also the best music cue of the entire first season of angel. It's, it's a, that is a, an all timer scene. I, I, I remember, um, I mean, it's one of those like scenes of the show watching it on TV that I remembered because it was like just an absolutely memorable, like, that whole sequence is just like completely bananas. Like everything about that sequence is bananas. And yeah. And that's like, you're right. A totally on the nose, but totally well-placed needle drop. And if you're going to have faith, lose her shit entirely in a, in a bar and beat the crap out of everyone. Like pretty, just go for Rob zombie. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, what else have you got? What what are, what else do you want to say about this episode? We can, we can get to the end if you want, but, no, so um, the only other thing is, I, I think it's, I think it's really, I like Cordelia as the the voice of skepticism in this episode because yeah. it would be very easy to have her like wholeheartedly against this stuff, which is a common play, even especially like having watched early Buffy, like it's a, it's a role that Xander tended to play a lot with Angel um, in the early seasons of like the voice of skepticism at trusting this person, but often in a antagonistic and getting in the way kind of approach Mm -hmm. whereas cordelia in this um right from the beginning with the the person that angel's trying to save and get to testify like she's just like this isn't gonna work like this is a waste of our time yeah she doesn't really try to stop anyone she's just like this is dumb and i i really appreciate her as the voice of this is dumb through this episode yes yeah um it so they get rid of she doesn't have a lot to do in this episode and then obviously she's barely in the next episode and it would be easy to criticize i mean that is certainly something that you could potentially criticize the episodes for like i I wish that cordelia could have stuck around and we could have gotten more interaction between her and faith but it is 100 percent within character for her to do exactly what she did um and there was already so so much uh, in these two episodes, particularly in Sanctuary, there was so much that had to happen that I'm, I really appreciate the fact that they found a, a Cordelia way of getting Cordelia out of the immediate action. Um, it didn't feel forced and, and or Cord- anything. And Cordelia doesn't have much history with Faith either. There's actually right. not much 
talk about. Because in season three, Cordelia is very on her own level with the Xander stuff from mm-hmm. Faith. Like, that's actually two very separate plot threads through season three of Buffy. And so Cordelia's reaction being, she's dangerous, I'm out of here, um, is actually, like, totally right. Like, you know, she doesn't have any emotional history with this person. She doesn't really care whether they get saved or die. Like, yeah. neither of those is that important to her. But she is dangerous, and I don't want to be here when she loses it. So let's yeah. just pack up. Yeah. Um, I guess... All right, so I, I want to say this and see what sort of pushback you give me. The only... And hang on. This might have this might be in Sanctuary. This is in Sanctuary. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. I'll save that for the next one. I was gonna I was gonna single out one thing that I thought might possibly have just been kind of borderline pointless, and they could have cut it from the entire episode. But it's not till Sanctuary. So uh, five by five I... remains pretty much flawless <laughs> in my mind. Um, so yeah, I guess let's I guess let's let's talk about the payoff. So the alley scene, um, the actually wait, before we get to the alley scene, okay. there probably is one other thing we should talk about, okay. um, which is, which leads into it, which is the fight lead before that the angel and faith's fight in the apartment. In the building apartment. Okay. Yeah. Is purely on a technical level. And, you know, again, I'm watching Buffy right now. And so I'm, you know, I'm about a year, a year prior to this moment in terms of their production maturity, you know? Yeah. Um, and what a immensely more complicated and um, well pulled off fight sequences. They're smashing up the apartment. It's the kind of thing you don't do that often in TV because resetting is expensive. Right. And, but that is a that is a really all out fight sequence that they choreograph and it's good. Yeah. So my favorite thing about that fight sequence is that um, the 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 Buffy production um, has always tried to bring that pseudo like young adult martial arts aspect <laughs> to their fights. Yeah. Um, sometimes to great effect, many times to to less great effect. But there's that distinct Buffy stylized martial arts style of fight choreography that they tend to do. And I choose to believe that all of the the people behind this production are self-aware enough that this was intentional, but this fight between Angel and Faith, Faith was not doing fancy spin kicks and like this was just feral like rabid there was lots of tackling and like clawing and i mean it was a brutal brutal fight with not very many you know posed kicks or whatever um and i will i will never forget because it is a little laughable but i don't care i love it so much there's a scene where she like grabs a floor lamp and first she smacks him with it and then she follows through by like flipping him up into the air with it. And it's a fantastic <laughs> shot, but that is a ridiculously flimsy lamp. And my only thought was <laughs> that lamp would have folded like a card table if she had tried to lift him with it. But it doesn't matter because I loved that scene. Had had the had Angel's choreography already gone this kind of more street fighty style up to this point i can't remember what angel's fight style was prior to this episode um i mean we've had i feel like in angel we've gotten more of the fights in a part like in apartments than we typically got most of buffy's fights have tended to be like in alleys or in the street or or whatever 
Um, so there have been a couple episodes of Angel that I remember where he's in a fight with someone like in a in a closed in space and there's a and people get like smashed into the wall and that kind of stuff. So a little bit. But um, I, I just it especially picks up once they fall through the window and they're out in the actual alley. You can see it even more that uh, Faith has given up any pretense of like trying to throw punches or whatever. Like she's just completely gone rabid at this point. Um, so, yeah, that's what that's one of the things about this fight that really stands out for me. Yeah. Yeah. OK, cool. Thank you. I wanted to give props to that fight because it, it stuck out to me as phenomenal. So, yeah, out the window, into the alley. Let's also, also, let's, let's give let's give uh, Wesley some credit that uh, he he reads Angel like they lock eyes and he reads the moment enough to, like, throw himself. He's still tied to the chair, but he, like, throws <laughs> himself to the floor out of the way as Angel lunges at Faith. So, yes. Uh, anyways. OK, yes. So through the window, out into the alley. So uh, first thing I want to say is that legend has it. And I've read this in min- in multiple sources, so I just have to assume that it's true. Uh, it's not apocryphal, but the legend is that uh, that Jim had written into the script that this alley fight was going to take place in the pouring rain, and that the production team was like, "We can't. It costs too much to bring in the rain gear and everything, so we're we're just not going to do that." And as they were filming and on this rewatch, I paid attention and the fight in the alley starts and they're really into it and it's completely dry. And then like the next cut, it's torrential rain. So the, the legend is that as they were filming the scene, it actually started to rain. Uh, Interesting. Which to me just means because because I know the, the final confrontation in a rain soaked alley might be a little cliche, but it really sells the fight to me like i i'm sure it would have worked without the rain but i just you know there's a part of me that can't even imagine that fight if it hadn't just been almost being washed away by the rain especially because we I mean you know as you said and this goes for angel as well fights in alleyways are a buffy angel staple yes. and that does bring something else and it's it's a cliche for a reason kung fu movies don't go into the rain constantly for no reason and it's it, it does sell it's very good drama for what's going on emotionally so yeah, yeah. props to props to that cloud well done so this uh, okay yeah so the the fight spills out into the alley and we see that faith is like just really unhinged in this fight. And there's a moment and I can't quite pinpoint what it, when it is, but when they're fighting up in the apartment, um, it was so, it was so violent and and fast paced and, and sudden that I didn't really notice this in angel. But when, once we get down to the alley, you can really, I at least can really start to notice angel starting to figure it out. Like angel, angel goes from, he's no longer like throwing all the punches back at her or whatever. He's now gone to, he realizes what's happening and he's now just trying to not kill her. <laughs> like he's, he's trying to not hurt her basically. Um, which is awesome. I didn't, I didn't notice it even until, cause I had, I, I had forgotten like what to read into the scene. Cause it had been a while, but like, it doesn't really become obvious until she's like pounding on him and yelling at him to fight back mm-hmm. that his entire approach to the fight has, has changed right. at that point. Yeah. And then he's really, he's not really fighting anymore. He's just really letting her wear herself out. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So this is the so we've gotten the flashbacks. Like I said, this is the moment that gives the entire episode context, and we've gotten these flashbacks with Angel or Angelus, um, and we've gotten to see uh, the moment, like the the earliest moments of him with his soul returned to him. Um, this moment in the alley when Faith breaks down in Angel's arms, um, I sort of equate that with the Faith gets her soul back moment. Um, so like everything before that was kind of the the soulless faith and this is the moment where the gypsy curse kicks in or whatever and now she has her soul back and she's feeling all this and and yeah so everything going forward from this point on is is um like angel struggling for a hundred years with the guilt that's washed over him there's there's an as a scene in in this episode in the flashback which i think is kind of like the really amazing keystone to what they're doing which is him attacking someone and trying to kill them Mm -hmm. after he's gotten his soul back Mm -hmm. um and and like that that moment that angel did not go from getting his soul back to not doing bad things anymore and that like there was still a path to travel right. from that point forward is is because up to that point i don't think we had ever gotten anything like that it becoming was angel got cursed and then angel was sold and then angel was sad and that was all we got you know <laughs> yeah. like it was and whereas this was like no he still had the craving for blood he still hadn't really reconciled what he had been during that time and that's like that's it like that's the key yeah. to why we're approaching faith this way because angel didn't go from from soulless to totally human again he he there was a, a period in between and and i love that the show acknowledges that and it ties right into this that like yeah faith is faith now has acknowledged after who who are you that what she has been doing is wrong like she's finally been forced to look into her own eyes and know what's going on mm-hmm. but it's not really until that moment in the alleyway where um the the emotions of that like the the feeling of it actually finally hits her. Yeah. And the, the Angelus, the, uh, the flashbacks also show us another important detail that, um, angel for the most part, angel had to do that all by himself because Darla turned him away. And, um, I think from various other flashbacks and other episodes, and I'm sure as we go forward, we get more of these, but, um, I know that, largely once angel got his soul back he really struggled by himself he really didn't have anybody to help him uh and so again the alley scene is him choosing to to not abandon faith and to be there for Mm -hmm. her to help her through it and i love the fact that the series going forward follows through on that yeah, that that thing with Darla is another interesting case too because again, like the the easy memory of Angel Angelus becoming Angel is he realized everything he did was wrong and went into his life of seclusion. But the first thing he did was go back to Darla. Like yeah. he, you know, he was still hoping that this person that for all intents and purposes he had to know by that point is a monster. Right. You know, like he knows what she is. But the first person he goes back to because it's the only person there is Darla, and he goes back to this monster for comfort. Yeah. Um, and like, and and they don't really ever call back to that. But I, I, there's like those subtle things about Angel is not cured of of amorality, 
via by getting his soul back and yeah and then from that point forward he's got to and and we've and you know from what we've seen in becoming we know he doesn't really get there anytime soon like he's he spends a good century um and i think the best thing he does is save a puppy at some point (laughs) as we will find out in a later faith episode of the show um that was about the best he was pulling off those years um okay well we need to move into the next episode um i just once again, I want to give all the props to Eliza Dishku's delivery in that final scene when she's breaking down in his arms and she, she goes from, you know, yelling at him, I'm bad, I'm bad or whatever, which I I love the way it plays because you could look at that as, Oh, this is just faith being faith. And that's kind of a cheesy thing for faith to say, but I guess it sounds like faith wanting people to know what a badass she is. Um, But you gradually realize, no, that's not, that's not what she's doing. Like she, she's admitting that she's bad and wants him to acknowledge that she's bad. And then she, you know, breaks down into sobs and begs for him to kill her. And you're like, Oh, I mean, it breaks me every single time, every single time I watch it. So man, one of my favorite scenes. Um, okay. So sanctuary. Um, Oh, for just a second, I thought these aired together. They didn't. So uh, 5 by 5 was April 25th, 2000. Then uh, it was the next week, May 2nd, 2000. Sanctuary is written by Tim Minear and Joss Whedon. Uh, if I understand correctly, it was mostly Tim Minear, but he felt uncomfortable writing Buffy because he had never written Buffy before. So he asked Joss to come in uh, and directed by Michael Lang. It's, it's not. It shouldn't surprise me that Minear wrote this because... I call this kind of like the emotional thesis statement of Angel. Uh-huh. Um, season two's um, uh, reprise epiphany two-parter. Which is the is next one of... you're signed up for. Oh, that's, you, oh that's, you, I couldn't remember if I did it. You yeah, already yeah. signed up for it. so. <laughs> um, well, that when we get there, like, we'll see how I feel again. But that's kind of the philosophical thesis statement of the show. Like, this is the, you know, no matter how broken we are, we can we can choose to claw our way back. And it won't be easy and there'll be pain along the way, mm-hmm. but we can do it and we should help other people do it. Like that's the emotional side of this show is that is the like that brokenness is not the end of us is kind of what these two episodes are and that we and it is worth fighting for broken people. And in and then we get later the sort of like like the more philosophical version of what that means in the face of overwhelming evil later on in the show. Mm-hmm. But this basically means that Minear basically establishes the entire DNA of Angel between these two, those two moments in the show. <laughs> oh man, bless Tim Minear. But this is this is a killer. This is both a killer episode, but also a more bananas episode. It is. That I remember. There's a lot going on in this episode. There's a lot. There's, there's, there's weird demon creature assassin. That um, which evil. which. Hang on, I just want to say <laughs> that was the scene that I wanted to hold up as possibly being completely extraneous and we could have done without it. All I the, say the that scene where it eats out of the bowl of milk, you mean? No, I mean, that was fun. It. That was fun. But I'm just saying that that like the demon assassin that they send after her lasts, I believe it counts out at 22 seconds. Like the fight between like he shows up, they fight for 20 seconds and it's done. So I really think that entire thing, it was fun to see the whole Wolfram and Hart thing with them you know, feeding him oatmeal or milk or whatever the hell that was. Um, But I guess that whole thing was only so that we would get the shot of 
faith with blood all over her hands. Uh, so she'd be like in that state when Buffy shows up. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's it is it is there to to turn the dial on where we are in the episode and almost nothing more. Like it's there because we need a crisis to because up to that point in the episode, Faith and Angel are in a bit of a stasis at this point because he's talking to her, she's trying to come around, and all the other people on the board are are too much too important to the plot to dispatch quickly enough to turn into that. And so right. we have that deep there because we need a threat to turn it from stasis to crisis. But we actually, the real crisis has to be the other stuff. So I think that's why the, what the purpose of the demon ultimately ends up being is like, he's there to, to up the stakes yeah. and be disposable. So it is disposable, but he serves the, to like turn the episode into the, the sprint that goes on from that point forward. I like that. I like the way you said that. So I interrupted um, you. You were pointing out all the crazy banana stuff <laughs> that happens in this episode. Yeah, so we got the demon and the wolf from Wolfman Heart. We have the Cockney Watchers Council, yeah. um, which I have a question about them in a bit. Um, and Buffy is back, yeah. and is Wesley going to betray Angel? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 Kate, the cop, too. Yeah. Um, everything else, like, everyone is on the board for this episode. Yep. Um, everyone it, wants to kill Faith. <laughs> and everyone wants to kill Faith. Uh, yeah. Where do you want to start? Okay. Well, first of all, I want to say how much I appreciate that this episode just opens like literally moments after five by five ends. Um, they could have, they could have like skipped a day or whatever. Like they could have picked it up some indeterminate time later. I really like seeing the shell shocked faith. Like the, I, I really liked seeing the aftermath of her in the elevator not quite realizing exactly how everything has just changed for her. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate that. She's, she's the, she's the first person we see in this state in this show, but will not remotely be the last. No. I just thought every season, one of the characters goes through their own version of faith's little mini arc yeah. in this, in this thing, it's angel in season two and Wesley in season three and going into season four, yeah. um, Connor through a good chunk of season four at the end of season four. So like, this is a, a, a pattern that will repeat itself of massive failure and then utter despair in the face of what you have caused. Um, and, yeah. and Eliza Dushku does kind of set the, set the bar with, with what she pulls off in this episode. Yeah. Um, so the, first super important thing that happens I feel like in this episode is we get Faith actually saying aloud the words help me oh yeah yeah which she has not said before this and even though all of her actions have spoken that uh, this is the first time where she actually like looks into it into the camera and says that so I thought that was super important and was very very powerful yeah yeah it's 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 this is something well it's really interesting tying this back to faith's backstory because she she was in the point of needing this there's a point in season three where after she kills whatever the mayor's human assistant is Uh. um and kind of goes through the first version of this crisis and ends up with the mayor who just gives her what feels like help but it's really unconditional love at her monstrousness not really right. like the kind of love that would pull her off this path so she gets it and then loses it 
And so now, like, for the first time, she's emptied out and needing help and has to actually ask for it and doesn't have, I don't know, a, an ascending demon <laughs> there to be like, let's just get more evil. It's okay. Right, right. Um, plus, I we need to remember uh, when she came out of her coma and then went on and did the This Year's Girl and Who Are You, like the message that she that the mayor left behind for her, um, I don't remember how it was worded, um, and I don't. I mean, he was. It was still, you know, a lovable Mayor Wilkins talking to her. But in essence, I think what he said in that was, you know, now that I'm gone, your place in this world is like like you have no place in this world. I don't remember how he worded it, but basically he he told her in that that, um, you know. I'm gone and, and you're going to be gone soon too. So you might as well burn the world down on your way out or something like that. So yeah, that's just the closest thing to an actual loving parental figure that she's ever had in her life. The last thing she, she didn't get to say goodbye to him. And the last thing she ever hears from him is, well, you really don't have a place in this world. Yep. So yeah, that was like, uh, yeah. And, and basically it was like, I think it was even worse. It was your only way to have a place in this world is to not be you anymore. Like he oh, gives yeah, her yeah. the switcheroo device with Buffy. And it's basically like you're screwed unless you're not fake. And which is yeah. what leads her to the Buffy thing. And then her facing herself at the end of that episode. Right. Right. Um, all right. Well, I feel like I'm doing too much talking. So what? Well, well so I got a question. I, I have a question really quickly, logistically speaking, which is okay. the Watchers Council's um, special operations team. Have we seen these people before? Yeah, I can't remember yeah. if they show up earlier. They were, they're actually, I love this. They're the three that showed up in uh, Who Are You? In the This Year's Girl and Who Are You? They're the ones that tried to take her. Um, and although I think it was actually Buffy in Faith's body that they grabbed. So okay. uh, and then okay. she kicked their ass. Yeah. Okay. Well, cause, uh, there was. It's a really. They're an interesting idea. I. I. I, I you know the the Watchers Council is a, a murky beast as to like how yeah. you want to read them the further it goes into Buffy. But at this point, the the extremely on the nose idea that there are these like effete at Oxford British people who run the Watchers Council and then these like. Um, uh, Guy Ritchie characters <laughs> yes, who exactly. are their special reparations unit is great. Yeah, like it's silly and ridiculous, but I do kind of love that they just have these people. It was, it was super weird to see those three guys. I love the Guy Ritchie. <laughs> to see the Guy Ritchie guys sitting around a table with Wesley, who has never put on, even when he was the rogue demon hunter, he never managed to put off that whole Guy Ritchie vibe. Um, but they obviously all know each other. Like he, he looks uncomfortable sitting with them, but not the kind of uncomfortable, like he's never hung out with these guys before. So I don't know. It was interesting to see, you know, bumbling Wesley, who's not bumbling Wesley anymore, but it was just interesting to see him in that environment with those characters. And they clearly didn't, they clearly didn't have any respect for him. I mean, they were obviously only using him, but still did, did so i have an interest i have a question about wesley in this in this episode hmm. um how tempted is wesley to go along with their plan how how close is he to taking it because we know by the end he turns on it but we also know later in the show 
that Wesley does have a point past which he will stop trusting Angel. Yeah, and so yeah. it ex- we know it exists. And so at this moment, where what was your read on Wesley? Um, I had also thought about, is it season three when all that goes down? Yeah. I, I had yeah. also thought about the Wesley that we eventually see in season three um, and how he feels like his, his choices there are, you know, motivated by the right for the right reasons or whatever. Um, but I kind of want to take Wesley at his word here. Uh, he tells Angel uh, later, he says, you know, I had to, I had to play along with them. Uh, meaning as they were, as they were telling me their plan, you know, I, I, I couldn't say, no, I'm not, I'm not into this. So I kind of take that to mean that um, he might've briefly considered it. Like when they first said, you know, the watchers cancel will reinstate you. He did perk up a little bit at that. And so he might actually have just for a second have been like, Ooh, maybe, but I think Wesley at this point has changed enough that he kind of felt like he doesn't want that anymore. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to be a watcher anymore. It's, it's, I think it's a good read. And what that, so what that means. And the reason I say that is because Wesley makes a choice in that scene that is either pre him deciding what he's going to do or him being extremely good in that moment at convincing them that he's going along with them, which is that when he holds his ground on no one hurts the vampire, like he is, he's adamant. And like, if you were just trying, if you, it would be easy to say when he said, we'll do our best to just move along with it. But if he's tricking them in that moment, that is an excellent way of making it feel like you are not tricking someone because he negotiates the deal that he would negotiate if, he was really going along with them. Right. So anyways, props to Wesley if he is doing, if he's there. And I, and I think, honestly, I think you're right because, and and this is just me speaking in TV language here, but we never get a scene of Wesley having a crisis later, Mm -hmm. which you would get, I think if you were trying to show him turning from what he almost did. And so since we never get that, it feels like that was never in play. Like there was never a moment when Wesley was not going to be with Angel on this, so I think I agree with you. I was just curious because this this is another episode like the first episode that does not show its cards mm-hmm. entirely um, until everything kind of reveals where everyone's standing at the end. And so I was I, I didn't want to like stand on one read on that scene because it's interesting. So thank you. No, I I think you're right. I think you're right about all that. Um, I also like the fact that. Um, even though Wesley and Faith are two of my favorite characters in the Whedonverse, uh, and so I just want them to be best buds. <laughs> like I really want, I really want Wesley to be on Faith's side. Um, I like the way that the episode plays it out, where um, maybe there is some part of Wesley that is is starting to question how harsh he's being about Faith. But really, what's going on here is he's just he trusts Angel. He trusts what Angel says he can do. He's not going to betray Angel. So, like, he's doing all this for Angel, not necessarily for Faith. And so. Yeah. And and, and Wesley's another is an interesting case here of not that. Dis- I mean, the, Angel is at its core a show built up primarily of the outcasts of the Buffy world. Like yeah. it's it's Cordelia who's crapped on the entire show and Buffy um angel who's a monster who no one can trust again wesley who creates the biggest possible mess for them to clean up in season three it is everyone 
who on the surface couldn't hack it for one reason or another in Buffy's world as as the heroes. But Wesley in particular has his screw up is so intimately tied to where Faith is that he's in a very similar place of him trusting Faith via Angel makes total sense because Angel is the only person that has given him a chance to pull himself back up. Like everyone else has been like, you're, you're a loser, Wesley. Like it can't, you can't be around. There's nothing, there's nothing for you. And only angel, even in his own, okay, fine, I'll do it way has allowed Wesley to find footing that, that matters here. And, and so he's not that in that dissimilar a place as faith. And a lot of what goes wrong with faith and name in Buffy is his, his fault to a degree. Yeah. So it's, it's, and, and, you know, I didn't think about this, but we see it in a flashback. Wesley, caused some of this damage explicitly by not trusting angel about faith in season three of Buffy. Yeah. We've already been here and that and him going along with the watchers council caused some of this. stuff. Yep. Yep. And I mean, angel throws that up in his face too. And in, in a pretty, uh, so let's talk about this then. Uh, the episode opens with, we get to see, uh, Cordelia and Wesley's reactions to what Angel has decided to do, and they are both understandably upset. Wesley, perhaps more so. Cordy just is managing to get him to absentmindedly sign some checks so she can go on vacation. But uh, I think they're both rightfully dubious about bringing faith, giving faith sanctuary. Um, and Angel is pretty he seems pretty harsh with them. Like I've seen people criticize angel for, for him, like how firm he is with Wesley in particular, given what Wesley has just gone through. Um, and I agree. It is harsh. I love and adore Wesley. and want to protect him from all harm ever. But, uh, I think it's exactly the same thing that happens when Buffy shows up. This is an, this angel is an incredibly tricky position that faith is so fragile right now. And he understands how important these moments are. And he trusts his friends to trust him. And he trusts his friends to be strong enough to deal with this. He has to focus on faith right now. So I, it still hurts my heart that he has to speak to Wesley like that, but I think it was appropriate. And I think it was in character. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, to, and, you know, Wesley kind of, there was no way of getting through to Wesley other than that. The, the, yeah. the watcher version of Wesley was definitely trying to assert itself yeah. in that moment. And, and yeah. And, you know, you know, one thing I think is interesting, you know, watching this episode right around the same time as watching the beginning of season three is Cordelia's problem with Angel helping Faith is is interesting parallel to her problem with Buffy helping Angel after he comes back from hell, which is entirely practical, right? Like Wesley is in the Xander position of anger. Like how dare you give this person any space after what they did? Like it's a moral judgment that they're Mm -hmm. making on it, on those decisions. Cordelia's problem in both cases is entirely practical. In season three of Buffy, it's like, hey, look, when this guy went crazy last time, he came after your friends, not you. So, like, she's not really angry about the fact that Buffy's trying to forgive him. It is a practical statement of, if he goes crazy again, it's me who's going to suffer, not you. And it's kind of the same thing here of, like, 
she's not stable. You can't trust her. Like it's it's not it's not like I'm against the idea of you giving someone a second chance. It's just like if she decides to kill us, she can kill us. Right. And so maybe this is a bad idea. And I right. appreciate Cordelia's very cynical practicality in in these moments that's in a, the middle of a, what is otherwise a moral argument. That's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up because that makes it even more <laughs> perfect that she's like, I'm out. Like, I went through this with you and Buffy before, so I'm going. I'm taking a paid vacation right now. <laughs> I'll I'm I'll peace out. I'll see you later. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, if you want to do this, that's cool. I'm just not going to risk myself for this. Yeah. It's stupid for me to be around here, and, yeah. and so I'm out. Um, but, but yeah, I, I this this whole setup is great because it sets the table for the Buffy scene later mm-hmm. of what what are, what are the stakes, what's going on. Wesley's arguments, against, Wesley's arguments against Faith are a microcosm of the things that will eventually come up with Buffy, which is this person personally wounded me mm-hmm. and how dare you protect them when they wounded me and I deserve justice that yeah. you are blocking Yeah, is, is basically the argument of this episode from here. So obviously we keep referencing it. So obviously we need to get to Buffy, but before we do that, we need to talk about um, the, uh, so how does this work scene, which is one of my, that's, that's one of, I don't know this for sure if that was my near or Whedon, but it felt kind of like a Whedon thing uh, with her saying, so how does this work? And of course, Angel goes off into this long thing about, well, it won't be easy and you may never, you know, you may never be able to balance the scales or whatever. And she's like, no, how does this work? The microwave. Um, That was beautiful. But that also, I mean, it was a fun little joke, but it also set up the whole um, emotional state. Uh, that faith was in and her hearing the hard truths from angel uh, and having to process that. And then that demon attacks. And so now she's got blood all over her hands and she's feeling very fragile. And then well, there's something else about that. There's something else about that microwave scene. That's actually really brilliant because you get, how does that work? And then a big, a big abstract moral statement. Yeah. And then no, no microwave. But then immediately from that, it pivots to a smaller version, which is that she thinks she's stolen Cordelia's, popcorn and she's like i'll yes. apologize and then she's like it's wesley and she goes well maybe we'll just forget about it and he goes maybe we shouldn't yeah and so like it goes from the abstract version of this is going to be hard into a very practical thing of i don't think i can apologize to wesley about this popcorn because i can't face wesley at all very um, good and it very immediately good. turns right back to it it's great it's very good yes um yeah and it was a that that you already saw growth in faith right there because previously faith would have been uh you know angel would have said well maybe maybe we don't or whatever meaning and she's like you mean i have to apologize to wesley and faith before would have joked her way out of that or like utterly dismissed that but she seems genuinely distraught there where she's like how do how do i do how do you even apologize for something like that like it's genuinely sinking into her that she's gonna have to start taking these steps Okay, but then oh, yes. Yeah. So sorry, blood, blood on, blood on the demon shows up. Blood on the hands. Blood on the hands. Angel embraces her. Buffy walks in, of course. Um, yeah. So Which we should probably set. We should probably set the since it's been a season, a season of Buffy, like a lot of Buffy since we last talked about this. The last Buffy has seen of Faith is post Faith in Buffy's body having sex with Riley. So. Right. The yeah. Buffy's context walking into the scene is Faith and Angel hugging. 
while in her head, I'm angry at this girl for lots of things, including having sex with Riley under false pretenses. Right. So, like, though, though Buffy is is not just escalated in the, I'm angry at this girl and Aethys angels protecting him it's like oh it's this literal thing happening right again yeah so which which that's another thing more uh, another great eliza dishku delivery when she lets slip that buffy has a new boyfriend uh Mm -hmm. and angel clearly didn't know and faith is genuinely distraught that she just broke you know broke that to angel that way and she's like oh my god i'm so sorry and of course he plays it off like see you can say you're sorry um, <laughs> anyways, all right. So Buffy's here. The whole world at this point knows my feelings on Buffy. So I want to ask for your perspective. Uh, how does the game change when Buffy walks in? How do you feel about that scene in particular when Faith runs out and they end up hitting each other? And yeah. Ooh, okay. So I have I have sort of two mind tracks on this. I'll try not to go off on a long long thing here, but one is my feelings on Buffy as, as a character, um, especially when I saw this and later on as being um, harshly self-righteous in in almost a degree of selfishness. And that Buffy is an extraordinarily unforgiving human being through the entirety of her show. Um, And I remember being pretty angry at her um, Mm -hmm. in this scene back when the show was on and, and still have it. Although having watched season one and season two, I, I'm in the softer um, before Buffy has really become super angry era. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little more friendly. So anyway, so there is that aspect of if you have any opinions on Buffy's inability to give space to people or forgive people, um, even as she makes the exact same mistakes um, herself. In fact, including at a moment later in this episode, she starts telling Faith off for what are you just going to run away? And having just come out of the end of season two and early season three of <laughs> Buffy is rich, yeah. very rich for her to be, to be pulling that on Faith. So yeah. anyways, so there's, there's all of that. Um, but there's something interesting happening here. I think like archetype wise, which is the, where the shows start to split, where we start to see Angel define himself. And Buffy is of an archetype of the righteous hero the hero whose job it is to pass judgment the Mm -hmm. you know one it's one way you can write captain america not the way we've gotten chris evans as captain america but like it is a way you can write captain america it is a way you can write superman it is certainly a batman style kind of like judgment thing that version of (laughs) so ironic since angel is the batman but (laughs) i know right yeah but like yeah so like she's the i'm the one who can pass judgment i'm the one i'm the slayer i'm in the position to know good from evil and make that anyway so she's that archetype and that exists that is not a fault of buffy as a person necessarily from the very beginning she was written as the the moral center hero in the black and white universe right and that's that type of moral center an angel is the archetype of the hero who who makes everyone else around him better like angel as a hero is the type of hero who is so screwed up and has gone through so much darkness of their own that their mode of heroism is not how they beat people up but how the they allow everyone else around them to recover themselves and that type of hero is someone that I really attach to. It's the type of hero that I really love the most. And in this moment, that is where Angel is. He is, I am not in a position to pass judgment. I am not in a position to to say who is who is worth saving and who isn't. 
but I do know this person is saving and I'm not going to let you pass judgment on them and ruin it for me. Yeah. And, and so there's something archetypical about the differences in the types of heroes they are going to be from this point. And from here, Buffy is that and Angel is the the person who is the moral center of his universe by making everyone want to live up to the ideals that Angel has been trying to live up to himself. And anyways, that's the that's the core of this argument from this point forward. Beautiful. <laughs> Very well said. Applause. Um, yeah. So I. I internalize everything that you just said, and I, I, I do my damnedest to understand um, the the moral backgrounds of these characters and the archetypes that they're fulfilling. And um, I, I understand that each character is seeing things from a different perspective still because I am just predisposed to not be the biggest Buffy Summers fan. I spend much of this episode, <laughs> I spend much of this episode just being pissed at her. And I, I understand that these characters are met. Like I've had many guests on the Buffy episodes that we discussed, um, try and talk me back and say, you know, these are supposed to be young people. They are not fully formed. They make mistakes. Everybody make mis- makes mistakes. A character, you know, needs to have flaws in order to be... Anyways, I understand all that. But there, there is still the my own inner Buffy, my judgmental, <laughs> self-righteous inner Buffy that's like, girl, you... The tables have turned now. Like, when... Angelus killed Jenny Callender and tortured Giles. Everybody else, all your friends were like, there's no possible way we can trust Angel. We cannot, he cannot be redeemed. What kind of fool are you to keep him around? And you hated it. You fought tooth and nail to get your friends to understand and trust you. That's what's going on here. And now you're, you know, you're on the other side of it. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, you already talked about the hypocrisy of her telling Faith, what are you just going to run away from your problems? Yeah. Yeah. Buffy, come <laughs> on. Anyways. Um, so I spend the entire episode being pissed off at Buffy, uh, but I love I love what it gives us. I absolutely love I mean, there's a part of me that's like, could we just not have <laughs> could Buffy just not be on this show? Um but I absolutely love that this episode happened um, and that everybody says the things that they say and that it ends the way it does. Um, I've possibly never loved Angel, the character, more than when he's like, uh, Buffy, this wasn't about you. That <laughs> that whole speech, I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. And then at the end, when when you know he's like, you know, I'm glad that you've moved on. I can't don't come here uh, and tell me about your perfect little life in your town and expect me to run things the same way. You know, I, I don't, I just, I love the conflict between those two characters and it's possibly, it upsets me to know that in the next episode of Buffy, that angel follows her to apologize for all this. I'm like, man, just, you should have just left it. <laughs> you should have just left it where it was. But I'm I'm not a fan of that either. I'm I'm with you. I this was this was the perfect break. Yeah, I, I kind of I choose to believe that this was the moment, you know, where. I mean, I know at the end of season seven we got the whole angel comes back and we get that stupid cookie dough speech, but 
regardless. I choose to f- think of this as the the final status update of their relationship. So it is, and there's like a perfect line between this episode and one of the great season five episodes, the girl in question, mm-hmm. um, where which is basically just Angel and Spike both realizing that they've lost this person and that they've moved on and that there's no getting them back. Yeah. Like it's this absolutely beautiful episode about the patheticness of holding on to something that you, you have get, you've like given up on like six years ago and here you are doing it. And so this yeah. is like a, it's a pretty good line between there and that I agree. Like we were going to get it, but it's interesting though. Right. Okay. So this, this is another interesting version of how this episode defines how angel is different than Buffy because from this point forward on Angel, Buffy is gone. Right. We never get Buffy. The only times we really acknowledge Buffy are moments like when Buffy dies in the gift. Or, um, you know, Willow will come back and give a slight update. But for the most part, the idea of Angel is, I am forever separated from that world. I am trying to navigate this this increasingly hard-to-navigate hellscape of Los Angeles and trying to maintain my soul through. That's Angel. From here on out... Angel's perspective on Buffy is that there is a permanent separation and it is dealing with the loss of something you will never get back. Right. On Buffy's version of the world, there has to be reconnections with Angel. Angel comes back and apologizes. Angel has comes back and has a cookie dough speech. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but in Buffy, Buffy is a inherently a soap opera in that way. And actually a young adult novel soap opera. And yeah. in that version of the world, you do keep running back into your ex. And in that version of the world, you have these weird non-reconciliations. It's like, you know, Carrie running into Big in Sex in the City. Like, it's endlessly going to repeat. Yeah. And, I, and again, I'm not passing a judgment on it. It's just the mode of that show. But in the angel adult world, you never get back what you lost. It's gone. You know, when when you had that moment, when you, when you came to blows and then said, stay out of my city if you're going to tell me how to run it, that's it. You've screwed it up. It's over. It's yeah. not coming back. And that is how Angel takes it from this point it, forward. And it's interesting. Angel has the line for a tax, tax attorney, shadowy guy. I've got a big mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's a great line. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, there's a couple of really great, there's two great, great scenes that mirror each other in this. There's the Angel, like, not to go all schoolyard, but you hit me first. But, like, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. like that that version of the argument that gets interrupted by the Watcher's Council screwing everything up. And then, and then yeah, the, the later argument, which is much more painful. It's actually a really emotionally painful argument where they, they just kind of draw lines that neither of them can cross for each other. And it's... It is a raw and real scene. Yeah. Um, and one of the best of the show, honestly. As much as you're like, why does Buffy have to come back? Uh, yeah. But like, and I agree. But that is actually one of maybe the top 20 scenes mm-hmm. in Angel as far as like just like not holding back at all. I love everything you just said. You need to be on more episodes of this show, man. <laughs> you, you should be a writer and you've cut away with words. Um Okay, so let's uh, let's mention the fact that Kate shows up for the first time in a couple episodes. I think it's been a few episodes since Kate's popped up, um, and we get a we get a much clearer for for anyone who had any questions on you know where Kate's headspace is on Angel. This episode kind of clarifies that that she's gonna put him in a cell with an Eastern view, <laughs> whatever. Um, she's got. 
So what do you think about her involvement? Are you a Kate fan? So I am a Kate fan. Okay. So I'm, 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 Okay. okay. She's a contentious character, I realize, but I I like her because she fits into the show as yet another person who's entirely screwed up by everything that's ever happened and is no clear way out for her. And I mean, also, how can I hate a character that plays into the one of the most cathartic episodes of the show in season two when we get to reprise Epiphany, extremely important to those episodes. Um, But I like her in this. I, I think she's I like the fact I mean, they, they haven't figured out, okay, actually, let me back up on Kate and say something. Kate is one of the tropes I hate the most in this type of show. The modern urban fantasy show, there is always the supernatural character and the cop trying to stop them. We have yeah. seen this in Highlander. We have seen this in, God, I, I don't know, I have to go back into my 90s canon of, <laughs> of, uh, of these shows. But there's a million of these shows, and this relationship exists in literally all of them. Yeah. There is always the rogue vigilante and the cop trying to stop them, and I hate this archetype. I hate, <laughs> I hate the type of character that Kate is, but I do really love Kate. Yeah. Um, and I think that part of what I love about her can be summed up in the scene in this episode, which is when she shows up at the crime scene and she's investigating and the guy calls her Scully. Yes. And she's like, like, no, Scully's the one. Scully's the skeptic. Mulder's Mal- the one who wants. Mulder's the believer. Scully's the skeptic. And he's yeah. like, wait, Scully's the chick, right? <laughs> and Kate's just like rolling her eyes. Yes. She's the, she's the chick. Uh, yeah, no, I, the, I, so yes. I loved that whole scene. Um, it's so interesting that that they brought her back for this episode. I mean, I guess I guess if ultimately you're going to have Faith turn herself in uh, to the authorities, since Kate is the representation of the authority on the show, I guess she had to be there. But she has so little to do in this episode besides arrest Angel and threaten to put him into a room with an Eastern view um, that I just, for a second there, I was questioning, you know, why did they actually have to get rid of Cordy just so they could have Kate on? She didn't really do anything, but I think given what her role on the show is, I think she kind of had to be in this episode. So well, this is, this is kind of the Kate problem on Angel in a nutshell, right? Because she, they never quite know what to do with right. her, which is why at some point she kind of just, I think, just kind of vanishes from the show. I don't even know she gets a proper write-off. I feel like she kind of just leaves and never comes back. Yeah, I can't remember um, what her ultimate fate is, but yeah. I, I had right, actually I, think, I had actually forgotten that she makes it into season two. The, someone else uh, on a previous episode reminded me that she, she still has stuff in season two, and I was like, oh, man, I thought they wrote her off by the end of season one, but... I mean, I think it's it's very possible that Epiphany is her last episode and that, like, the the fallout from that is just the end. But it doesn't – 90% of other Angel characters who have the moment that she has an epiphany, epiphany come back in some way, shape, or form. I mean, right. you know, Faith gets an ending that she could never come back and, and certainly comes back. But yeah. the show never really knows what to do with Kate, and it can't quite figure out what to do with her. And I think the problem goes back to the fact that – they had to have her in because every show of this setup had that character in the show. And so you need uh, the Raven. That's the, that's the Highlander. Show oh, wow. Look at you. I'd forgotten that show even uh, existed, but, but there we go. It's, it's like an immortal and the cop trying to catch her. So, um, oh. but anyways, you know, I don't think they knew what to do with her. And so another, another show that, another show that featured watchers. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all here for any show that features watchers I can talk about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think they knew what to do with her, but they knew that there was gold there. So they keep trying to bring her into the show yeah. and figure out a way to tie her into stuff. And they never figure it out. At no point do they figure it out. And this is one of the episodes where they have not figured it out, unfortunately. Yeah. But, like, yes, they had to have her because if you were going to have a cop, you had to have her. Her. It right. just had to be. Yeah. Um, so I am going to throw a little bit of shade at the at the uh, rooftop fight with the uh, helicopter action. Um, this is the thing that the, the mutant enemy shows try from time to time. They have these big, almost like Hollywood blockbuster sort of action set pieces. And sometimes I feel like Buffy managed to pull it off. Although off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of one of those. I'm more thinking of things like, um, what the hell was the name of the episode with the Knights of Byzantium and they're yeah. fighting on top of the bus and I, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, in season five. Yeah. Of Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, every once in a while they try to do these big set pieces uh, with helicopters or buses or, or whatever. And it's not, it doesn't always work. And so I, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, but um I'm not a huge fan of the pretty crazy uh, rooftop gun battle and the helicopter that Angel jumps up and tackles or whatever he does. It's it's tedious. And I think the reason it doesn't work, okay, I have, I've been arguing about the blockbuster um, action scenes that does work later in Angel that isn't this style. They find a different style. But I think guns and vehicles are two of the problems because – these are at their core, um, you know, martial arts shows. You know, they're supernatural martial arts shows. So you need to either have it be magic or punching. Right. And as soon as you get guns involved, like I just watched Homecoming, and there's the two German guys with the guy on the right. Like, and, right. And, yeah. and it's just sort of like I, I can see guns on any episode. And also, like, at, at the point at which guns come out, the Slayers have to run away from guns. It's actually there is no special power that right. does it. And so it, it kind of just it, it breaks the vibe. In a lot of ways, and I think the helicopter battle does that, which is why much later in Angel, um, when we get to like season three and season four, you get um, more like Brotherhood of the Wolf style action in like the Ooh. episode where Connor comes back. Nice. Um, yeah. And and the like Apocalypse Now-ish, which has their first fight against the Beast, which is which a features guns blockbuster action and yes, features guns but, in a good way. But, yeah. and, Right, mostly there to show that they are useless, you know, yeah, like in a yeah. really great way. And so that that works. But but you know, they use guns in a John Woo way, and yes. you can get away with John Woo in Angel. You can't get away with Fast and the Furious, but you can get away with John Woo. <laughs> right. So so yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that it's it's out of character for the show, and it kind of brings the tension to a little bit of a halt mm -hmm. as a result. Yeah, so yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm with you on the shade. Um. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of it in terms of. Uh, I like the way you put it that when the guns come out, the the slayers have to run away. And uh, you're right that rooftop fight sequence. It, there were moments where both Buffy and Faith got to throw some punches, but for the most part, it was them running from cover from one cover to the next, while the guys with the yeah. machine guns are trying to shoot them. And I'm like, there's nothing exciting about this. The only good thing is when Angel finally does get up on the on the. Um the helicopter and he like 
vampire face is like land it or whatever he yeah, says. Yeah, like yeah. that's the only good thing is like because at that point at least it's funny angel stuff. There so. is a transition shot that goes from that. Um and it's so quick and it's you only he's in shadow, but you're looking from the perspective of inside the helicopter, you're looking at the silhouette of Angel hanging onto the side, like in the doorway of the helicopter, looking out over the Los Angeles skyline as the helicopter flies away to wherever it's going. And and it's like for two seconds, but it was a beautiful shot. I kind of wish we'd gotten a little more of that. But um, Don't you wish that they had just agreed to the rain machine in the last episode and cut the helicopter out yes, of this one? Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, this damn helicopter is probably why they said, no, we can't. We've got a helicopter coming up. We can't do a rain machine. <laughs> Anyways. Um, all right. But 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 on the on the good side, we, we need to give Wesley his one moment of heroism by throwing a dart. Oh, the dart. Yeah. The dart thing, which I, I, have, I had never played darts the first time I saw this. So I didn't understand his 180, 180. joke. Yeah, and this time, having played darts since then, I was like, "Oh, I understood that <laughs> reference." Um, and so now, I, now I, I got something new out of the episode this time. There you go. Um, what else? What else? Oh, there's the I, I don't know if I had ever noticed this before, but now I'm the kind of person that when I'm watching these shows, when I'm rewatching these shows, I will always freeze frame on anything with like a chalkboard in the background or a whiteboard or when people have files open on the desk i'll i'll pause the hell out of that and zoom in as best i can so this time i caught as faith is flipping channels she's watching tv and flipping channels uh she flips past the end credits of a movie that start rolling and in those credits uh, apparently all of the names in those credits are somebody or other uh, but the ones that I immediately noticed were um, Lisa Lassick was listed as TV host and she's, you know, editor on Buffy and Angel and uh, Firefly. Um, and Mare Smith is listed as female dancer. Uh, there's a whole list of female dancers, and I think all those names are various people in production, but I saw Mare's name. That's hilarious. So I didn't realize. I d- totally. So there's like fake credits in yeah. the thing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Anyways. Um, okay. So the episode ends with Faith turning herself in, and we get a beautiful shot of her uh, in her jail cell as Wesley gives his little voiceover of, uh, I think he said, got this somewhere uh, i hope she's strong enough to make it peace is not an easy thing to find so that's as close as we get until much later in the series to wesley kind of saying i mean that's as forgiving as wesley gets <laughs> at the moment at yep. least yep it was it's a it's a good thing and and it, you know it does feel like a, a little bit of a goodbye I, I, I you know a, a goodbye that you hope isn't goodbye to mm-hmm. faith and ends up not being you know goodbye um and to the point where like now in in retrospect there was like a part of me that in when it cuts to the credits wanted one of those 1980s like endings of like fate will return in whatever episode of angel (laughs) in season four um but 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 but, so what's interesting here is we get an ending of of faith in jail 
Um, and I know that these episodes will be talked about later, but in case I'm not, not around, I'm not on any of the season four episodes when we get there. One thing I think is interesting is we open on Faith escaping Sunnydale, closing on Faith in jail. When we return in season four, we open on Faith in jail, getting out to Selp Angel, and as and then returning to Sunnydale to close out her final character arc in Sunnydale. So we will That's unwind right. this in the other direction <laughs> when when she returns in season four of it. Yeah, good point. Good point. So we actually, I, I don't know if that was intentional, but good for them. Yeah. We actually see her, I think, only once before season four. Um, I kind of wish that we we had checked in on her a couple of times, but I think it's the season two premiere. Um, Angel goes to see her in jail just to check on her. Oh, you're right. You're right. Actually, I guess that's the point where we, because we actually do see her there again. Yeah. We see her when we actually return to Faith and she breaks out. It's in the, one of the phone rooms um, yeah. later on. So technically speaking, you're right. Actually, that's the point. Whenever he yeah. sees her at the beginning of season two, I think you're right about it being in season two. It's in the phone room that will be the next time we see her. Yeah. And and getting out. So Which actually uh, that. So this felt like it could have been an ending for Faith. And I'm. I'm overjoyed beyond the telling of it that it turns out to not be, but this would have been a satisfying end. Hi kitty. <laughs> uh, this turns out to be, it, this could have been, you know, a satisfying end uh, for faith's arc. And I actually think that just the, the brief little moment we get with her in, I think it's the season two premiere. Um, just to serve as a reminder or evidence that, you know, Angel didn't just send her to prison and then forget about her or whatever. I actually think that kind of sells the fact that this was the ending for Faith. Like, uh, the fact that we get just one little aside with her later to remind us that the character is still alive, that almost feels like that's them doubling down and saying, you know, we're done We're done with Faith. Faith's story has reached its end. Um I think at that point there well there it wasn't like it had like what is the, the follow up from faith that you can imagine from there you need the right story grounds to not cheapen what we've just seen mm-hmm. and there and to be honest there are zero story grounds that would not cheapen what we had just seen until we get much later and faith has to repeat for angel what angel has done for her so by perfect. coming back oh and God. being the only person who can reach him um, as Angelus and save him and so it's great that like. I'm so like it is rare for a story to find a point where you can organically return to a character in a way that doesn't cheapen their previous arc but enhances it. Yeah. And Angel will find that with Faith later. And to be fair, Buffy will to a degree too. Via the work Angel does, Faith gets to return to Buffy in a stronger light mm-hmm. and in a different light than she had. So, anyways, I guess what I'm arguing here is Angel is clearly the superior show because <laughs> yes. every, because it takes one of my favorite characters and does all of the stuff that makes her my favorite character. <laughs> well said. God bless you. <laughs> I've made no secret of my appreciation for Angel, but thank you for being a, a fellow voice of reason. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything else uh, that we need to cover. I mean, these these are extraordinary fucking episodes and I may actually go and rewatch them again right now. As soon as we're done here, I may actually go rewatch them. 
Um, I'm almost sad to move on, but there's so much more good stuff coming. Yeah, I mean, this is the the amazing thing about these two episodes is they are the start of what makes Angel one of the best shows on TV ever. Mm -hmm. Like this would be a high point. These two episodes are the kinds of episodes that on a lot of TV shows would happen in, you know, like mid season three. And you'd look back on them and be like, man, that was one of the best moments in this show. And in Angel, this is the point where the show figures itself out. This is actually like just the starting gun of the rest of a phenomenal show. And, and how many shows can have these episodes, these good, this good, this early and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it gets better. It gets like better, yeah. from here, it, it, it just does this over and over again for like five seasons. I'm, sc- I'm just scrolling through the schedule and reminding myself of fantastic episodes that are still to come. Uh, guys will yeah. be guys, blood money, reprise epiphany, fucking Billy. God damn it. Yeah, it, this is, I, I mean, you know, I, I actually really, I really appreciate when this episode, so, okay, I had this, I had a challenge with this episode coming up. One was, I was so close to organically getting to these episodes in the, in the watch <laughs> that I was doing, yeah. so close that I was like, crap, I wish I could have waited. I wish I had been like a little bit faster on the watch that I'm doing. But on the other hand, going from Buffy at, at its peak to this, and I, when I say Buffy at its peak, I mean season three, because season three is my, my favorite season of Buffy. Um, and going from that to this, the, the, sh- the pleasant shock of, God, this show is just at another level. Like, it is, I really do love Buffy at its best. Like, at its best, I have a lot of affection for Buffy even now. But Angel is working at a level that is so much deeper and so much richer and so much more challenging that I don't say this is a knock to Buffy. It's not that Buffy is lesser. It's that Angel is more. (laughs) And coming back to these two episodes was like, Oh yeah, that's right. This is just this ep- this show d- shouldn't exist. It's it's too much <laughs> if this yeah. show exists. Yeah, yeah. So it anyways, is. It was well timed, and I was good to get it. It is the. Uh, <laughs> let's see what reaction I get from this. It is the legend of Korra of the Whedonverse. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, I've said that I'm the weirdo <laughs> who likes the Stranger follow up series, but it is. I mean, Korra is. I, I I would actually, if I ever got a chance to interview. Um, I can't think of their names. Kanetsko um, and DiMartino. Yeah. If I ever got a chance to ask them, I would be like, what's your favorite? Do you like Buffy or Angel more? Because I feel like somewhere in the back of their heads was Angel when they made Korra. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot a lot of Korra is this is this way in its relationship, but especially season four of Korra as a season about trauma yeah. and recovering from trauma is so of a piece with Angel yeah. that Anyways, yeah, no, I, I feel that way. Korra's, Korra is the series I love more than Avatar, even though I would argue Avatar is a stronger show than Buffy overall. Like, I think Avatar is like, if I were going to have to rank these shows, Avatar does beat up Buffy a little bit. But in terms of their, their relative place of learning this in childhood, learning this in adulthood, they're very, very parallel in, yes. in what they for me personally. Yeah, I just knew. I... I... I miss uh, the Avatar Returns too. We need to like, we need to redo that whole show. We just need to hey, we go got, back we, through it again. We have, we have a whole Netflix Avatar, not Netflix, um, Nickelodeon. Who who just signed them up to do a whole verse of Avatar shows? I think it's Nickelodeon. It's the it's Avatar Studios is what it's called now. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of new Avatar stuff coming out. So absolutely, we have more stuff that we can talk about. And of course, there's all. Are, the, are we gonna? There's all that. There's that shelf full of comics right there. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. I mean, we talked we about some of those, yeah. but there's. I don't know. We just we need to bring that. Well, show we're gonna out. have we're we're gonna have to sign up um, uh, Arlo to hate watch the Netflix show when it comes <laughs> on with us. So. I mean, he made us watch the goddamn movie. Well, this was this was so great. I'm so I'm so glad I got to do these two episodes. This was this was a joy that I can't I can't say to come back to these. I, Just wonderful. I love having you on, man. We need to we need to talk way more often than we do. And I love the fact that um, you are super pumped about Reprise and Epiphany because I did for the first time ever. I opened up the guest document so I would know I could look at it and say I've got you scheduled for this, and it just happens to be Reprise and Epiphany. So. You've got at least that one, at least that one in your future. Um, so thank you so much for joining me. And this is the opportunity for you to pimp your wares to let the listeners know how they can uh, stalk you online and where they can find all your cool stuff. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. This is great because I actually do have um, some news here. Um, so first, um, coming up, in about a month and a half from now, I am releasing my second novel, which I have been sitting on, I admit, for a little bit, but the pandemic was a hard time to try to release something. Mm -hmm. So my novel, Mimesis, which um, I did finish a bit ago, um, is in its final proofing stages. I am holding my proof copy of Mimesis right now. It's beautiful. Um, a little it's bit beautiful. Of a, a young, it's, I'm so excited by how this looks. A, the cover art's beautiful. Um, uh, it's by Kring Demetrio. Um, so um, Mimesis will be launching on September um, 21st. That is a Tuesday. Um, it will be releasing in print and ebook form. So get ready for that. Um, I will, you will find it on my Twitter. I will be talking about it endlessly soon at um, S Salon, sorry, Salon, S-A-A-L-O-N. Um, and a website will also have information. And I'm trying, can you give me, um, so if you go to, um, ericsipple.com oh look um, at you my last name is called s-i-p-p-l-e uh, -E. am i right about that yeah um yeah exactly ericsipple.com will take you to my um my website and i will be doing a cover reveal um this week about that so sometime maybe maybe before this episode comes out but very likely around the same time this episode comes out will be my cover reveal for mimesis so go check the book out it's a young adult horror novel um a little bit uh, a little bit queer um a little bit um scary um and very romantic and um i will be also attending if you are in the denver area and the pandemic does not end it um mile high convention in denver on october 1st and 2nd i want to say the dates are that is mile h i high c o n milehighcon.org um, I will be a participant there. I'm going to guess I'm going to be on some panels. The schedule hasn't been released yet, but also going to be getting a table there. So come see me, come sign stuff. I will wear a mask. I am, I am vaccinated. So uh, I will do my best to be per, be helpful um, and safe there. But um, anyways, that's it. I, I'm sorry to babble my way through that, but I'm really excited. I have new news to announce. So I'm, I'm very Brian? excited. I'm very excited that Mimesis uh, will be coming out and we, uh, we will have you on gobbledygeek. Um, so a little backstory, 
my co my gobbledygeek co-host and I, Arlo, met Eric uh, when he released uh, Broken Magic way back in at the dawn of time. That was a long time ago, uh, and we had him on gobbledygeek to uh, talk about his brand new book, and so that's how we first crossed paths with you, and so of course we had, and then and then. We became good friends, and you collaborated with Arlo and I on the Deli Counter of Justice, um, which we need to do more of. And um, Arlo and I have both been following the development of Mimesis for, again, it feels like a long time. So I'm very happy that it's coming out. We will have you back on uh, the show to talk about that when that happens. And I cannot wait to get my hands on it because I want to read the finished product. It's, I'm excited. They were uh, Arlo and um, Paul were both great early readers of the book, so I appreciate your patience and um, excited to be finally coming out with it. All right, and um, I didn't know anything about this website. The last time we spoke, your website was like salonmoyo.com, so I didn't know yeah, you, I didn't know you'd gone all fancy in Hollywood on me and had like ericsipple.com. I, I decided to do it. Um, complicated reasons of getting there of like where the domain was. But um, yeah, I decided I actually had ericsipple.com and it used to point to Salon Moyo. Okay. I decided that um, I decided that I was ex- I was exhausted explaining my domain name to people. And it was which meant which meant that everyone was exhausted with having to have it explained. And yeah. so I'm, I was just taking it as, as silent feedback to just just do the thing and go off my name. Just do the thing. Julie, do the thing. thing. All right. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you. Um, I'll put all the links. I mean, ericsipple.com, that's a pretty easy link, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and any other links that you want to give me, I'll, I'll throw up in the show notes. Um, but thank you again for being on the show. And uh, thank you all at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of the past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Um, while you're there, please rate us or write us a review that does, uh, feed the algorithm machine and, uh, you know, puts us in front of fresh eyes or ears or however podcasts work. I don't know how this works. Uh, if you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at conswithdead. Um, Next time, Elizabeth Rambo is back with us at last, making her Angel debut. She has not been on a single episode of our Angel discussions yet, so uh, she's back just in time to walk us into the Season 1 finish line with Episodes 120, Warzone, 121, Blind Date, and 122, To Shanshu in L.A. So, until then, remember, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. I can't stand myself being held up by invisible men Still I on a shelf when I got my mind on something else Sunny days Where have you gone? I get the strangest feeling You belong mm. Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? Why does it always rain on me? 
Even when the sun is shining, I can't avoid the lightning. Oh, where did 